So we've been thinking about uh, how does it work in a person's life? Uh, coming to Christ, growing in Christ, and becoming more like Christ. We've been really thinking, thinking that through, and we've been doing this for years and years and years. And really, we've kind of narrowed it down to three, three words. Believe, first we believe, then we belong to a body of Christ, body of, the body of the church, and we become. We believe, we belong, and we become. And you're going to hear that phrase over and over and over. Because I think it, it really symbolizes what the, 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 the path of the Christian life. First, we believe in Christ. We belong to the body of Christ. And as we believe and belong, we grow and we become like Christ, right? That's the path that we need to take. Now, we're looking at the book of James. And James has a really important component to all of that. Because what James is examining or what he's questioning is, what does belief look like? What does faith look like? What, in the end, what is faith? What is true faith? Um, I grew up in a, in a home where I believed I was born a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church every week. And so I believed I always was a Christian. I believed in God, you know. And, and what James is talking about is a little deeper than that kind of belief. It's not just merely saying, yes, I believe there's a God up there. Or, yes, I believe there is a Jesus out there. Um, and here's what I thought. And, and, and this, is, this is what many people think. I believe in God. I live a good life. I try to um, do good things, more good things than bad. Um, I tr- try to be kind of on the, uh, the top 50 percentile if I can. You know, <laughs> that, that would be good. Um, and when I stand before God one day, I will t- tell him, I deserve to be in heaven because of what I've done. That's, that's, that's what, how I was raised. And some of you were raised that way. Some of you, whether you're listening to this, you're watching it on, online, you're, you're at one of the campuses, you're, that was your tradition. That's how you were raised. And then one day, all of a sudden, you encounter the Word of God, and it said something a little different. And James is that, that encounter that you'll have. Because James says, faith without works is dead. Because what I was doing was I was doing the works so that I could be accepted. And what James is saying, no, 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 no. You've got it backwards. First, you believe. And once you believe and you give your heart to Christ, you understand that you're a lost sinner, that you desperately need a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. And you call upon Him, and He he gives you new life, life that you didn't have before, spiritual life. And now I not only have uh, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I have the power to accomplish His will, but I have the desire to accomplish His will. And so there's been a transformation. And and so I first, I believe, I crossed that line by faith, And I trust in Him, not in myself for heaven, but in Him for heaven, in Him for forgiveness, in Him for for life. And when I come to that place, now I've got a new power and a new ability to follow God. And James says, you can't get that backwards. Don't, Don't do the works to be accepted. Be accepted first because of what Jesus did for you and have the power within you to do the work that I've called you to do. And if you get those things wrong, it's, it, it, it's, it's damaging. And, and James basically says, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And those my, my works are proof that I have placed my faith in Christ. Not, 
not, not, not, they're not saving me, but they're proving that I have placed my faith in Christ. The point I want you to see is that your behavior always follows your belief. Your behavior always... James says your behavior always follows your belief. Um, You first believe in Jesus for salvation, then Jesus comes into your life, and you begin to see your life being transformed. So here's the question I want to examine a little bit. How come some Christians that you know seem to be on a progressive life transformation path, and others aren't. How come? That's what we want to look at a little bit. So, if you would, let's turn to James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 21, and I know we went over that last weekend, but I would like to go there again because I think we have to just lay a foundation again before we move on, because James makes a pretty important point. In fact, I think a lot of the letter of James, and James was a letter that he wrote to the churches, um, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, he puts it that way. Um, but as he, as he writes this, I think it's important for us to get to, to, get to that. James 1.21, here's what he says. He says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word uh, planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in in what they do. So how do we know if Jesus has taken up residence in our life? Because that's essentially what James is saying. He's saying that some, you know, people, two people can do the same good thing, but their motives can be very different. The question is, how do we know when their motives are right? And, and essentially what James is saying is that you have a new desire to do the following things. You have a new desire to do the following things. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you, there's a few things that take place in your heart. And James lists them here. The first one is this. You drain your swamp. Okay? You drain your swamp. What do I mean by that? He says this. He says, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. When we come to Jesus, we have a new desire to live a holy life. Not a perfect life, but a holy life. There's a difference. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there are things that bother you that didn't bother you before. There are places that you used to go to. You will never go to those. There are words that you you used to use, but you don't use them anymore. There's a transformation that goes on. There's a feeling that this isn't who I am anymore. This isn't where I go anymore. This isn't the way I live anymore. And there's a, there's a ch- lifestyle change that goes on. And some of you are living that right now. And your family's looking at your life and they're going, what is wrong with you? You think you're so much better than me. And you haven't said a word. You're just trying to live a moral life. But that will be one of the things that happen. That you, you, you will start to live a moral life. And you'll be bothered by things that you do and say that you weren't bothered by before. Because you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within you. And James tells us that we'll seek to live a pure life. 
that will deal with our sin when, we're, when we fail. We won't excuse it. We won't blame others. We won't blame our environment. We'll say, that's on me. And we'll confess it to God. It's a different, it's a different thing. Uh, James puts it this way. He says in, in, in 1 John 1, eight, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first thing James says is that if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will begin to desire to live a moral, pure life. You'll live a moral life. Secondly, you'll open your heart. Notice he says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So what he's saying here is that you don't just read the word of God and say, I don't know what I think about that. Eh, I don't know if I want that. You know, one of the things that's interesting is sometimes we come to the Bible and we think we're the final arbitrator of whether it's true or not or whether it's right or not. We don't get to make that call. It's God's word, you know. It's the boss telling us, you know, what to do and how to believe and where to go and, and all those things. So we don't debate that. We don't, we don't think that. James says a sign that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is that you humbly accept the word of God. You say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I remember when I was an early Christian, one of the struggles I had, I'd hear the word of God and I'd go, I'd think, that can't be true. That can't be right. right. And then I'd go and I'd read it. And I'd go, I don't want that to be right, but it is right. And that means I have to, you know, get my act together in this area of my life. And I don't, you know, I'm struggling. And, and you get to a place where you go, that's right. And I know it's right. And, and I want to live that way. Uh, this is the way the writer of Proverbs put it. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. One of the signs that you're a follower of Jesus Christ is that when the Word of God, the wisdom of God, speaks out, you hear it and you don't dismiss it. You humbly receive it. Fools reject it. They say, why are you living that way? That's silly. It's crazy. The believers are willing to hear the hard things that God's Word tells them. Here's the third thing. Obey what you know. Obey what you know. You know, the Christian life in the end isn't really that difficult. It really comes down to obeying what you know. God isn't going to ask you to obey something that you don't know, but He is asking you to obey what you already know. One pastor, I think it was Chuck Swindoll one time, said, we don't need to know the Bible more. We need to be obedient to what we already know about the Bible. And he's absolutely correct. Jesus said over and over, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I've called you to do? He's saying, you're giving me lip service, but you're not giving me obedience. Do you do that in your life? Have you done that in your life where you say, yes, Jesus, I want to serve you. And Jesus says, okay, we'll do this. I don't know if I really want to. I don't feel like it. Maybe sometime. You know, we sometimes think that putting Jesus off is not, like, not saying no. Have you noticed that? You say, well, Jesus, I know that's what you want me to do. I know that there's this thing going on in my life that you want me to deal with and get rid of. I'm just not there yet. You better get there quick because He wants you to deal with it. And it's not a matter of, of saying, yeah, when I get around to it, it's not the way it works. 
true Christ followers obey. When we repent and we don't have an on, when we repent, we don't have, uh, we have this ongoing desire that we want to follow him and please him. You know, it's just part of who we are. We're different people. Uh, John puts it this way. He says uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is, uh, is not in that person. But anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we, will, we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So James, John is saying the same thing James is saying. He's basically saying if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, obedience is part of your lifestyle. You obey. When Jesus says jump, you say how high, right? You don't say, well, if I don't feel it. You know, I'm not moved. Well, you better be moved. Uh, here's the fourth thing. We need to reflect and remember, and, and I think Nelson and Mark both got into this last, last weekend. So he says, uh, don't, you know, the, the word of God is like a mirror. You know, some of you, maybe many of you, most of you, before you walked out the door, maybe you have, you know, you always have the, many of you have a mirror by the door and you kind of look in and say, whoa, time out. Better do a little work here, right? And as some of you are like really precise, you, you have the magnifying mirror so you can get, you know, pull the right things out, and put the right things in the right places and put the lipstick on. And, you, you know, you, 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 do you do that? And James says that's what the mirror of the Word of God does. The Word of God is like a mirror that will show you your heart. It'll show you your soul. It'll show where you're at. And, you know, some of us don't like to see that. You know, it's like looking in the mirror. Now, you know, some of us look in the mirror and we go, yeah, I'm really not liking what I'm seeing right now. You know, I wish it were different. Well, that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God, and James says, no, 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 you can't look away. You've got to look at it intently. Remember what you see because what is happening here is I'm showing you your heart. I'm showing you your soul. I'm showing you your life. And I want you to get it because you have to see it. If you're going to change, you have to see it. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is just between you and God. How much this week did you take the Word of God and did you look into it and allow it to speak to your heart and allow it to speak to your soul and show you who you are? Maybe it's showing you that you're his son and daughter because you're beating yourself down. You're allowing the enemy to beat you. Maybe there's something going on in your life. There's a pattern of sin going on and God is challenging you to do something about it and you're putting God off and God's saying, no. I need you to do something about it. it. The psalmist says this in Psalm one, Psalm 19. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you know what all of those euphemisms are of the, the phrase of the Lord? He's talking about the Word of God. He's basically saying the Word of God. So my point is this. If you never look in the mirror, how is God ever going to transform your life? How is he going to do it? The answer is, he can't, really. One of the reasons we fail to grow, I think, in the Christian life is because we don't take time to read and reflect on the Word of God. 
Now, in the, in, the, in the life group homework, and by the way, we're going to talk more about this. The bulletin's going to look next, different next weekend, starting moving forward. And you're going to have more notes in there. You know, you can take more notes and stuff like that. You're going to have more of an outline, and you have the, small, the uh, life group homework in that. But this week in the life group homework, you go on the website and get it. Um, I give you a number of verses that you can take. And they're just short verses, and it's just to reflect on them. It's just to take the verse and just mold it around in your head, in your heart. Say, God, what do you want to show me through this? What is this verse showing me that, I'm, that I need to see? And you, you'll be surprised because God will show you some things that you never saw before. And that's what we need to do on a daily basis. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My point is this. If you're not taking the word of God in, my guess is your life's not being transformed. If you're wondering why your your heart, your life, and your values aren't being transformed, it's probably because you're not just not just reading. It's not just going through and saying, okay, I read three chapters. Great. Have you ever done this? Have you ever read through? I have. I'll admit to so you can feel good about it. I've read through, you know, I do a reading in a day, and I read through, and I, I don't even remember what I read. I mean, I, I know where I was, but I don't remember what I read. I don't remember allowing it to, to, to go to my heart. And we can't do that. We can't do that. We've got we've to do that. Um, so if you want to learn a little bit how to reflect and read, there's a couple of verses. Just take a verse and just... Think about it. Pray about it. I'll give you a couple short words on that. Uh, Deuteronomy says this. This is, this, is, this is, by the way, an Old Testament practice. In the Old Testament, they had what they called, what the, it's the Hebrew word, Shema. And it's uh, Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, is Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Here is Shema. And then it says this in verses 5 through 6 through nine it says this love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength these commandments that i give to you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates what are they saying there meditate on them reflect on them remember them apply them so it's it's the same principle in the old testament okay all right so We've seen a little bit about what does true faith look like within us. Okay, because these are all been kind of internal things. The question is now, what does true faith look like as we live our life in the world? Okay, so jump down to verse 27, and we'll move quickly through this part. Uh, James 1.27 through chapter 2. We're going to jump into chapter 2. Notice what he says. Religion... That, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention 
to the man wearing fine clothes and say, uh, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among those and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing the right thing. But if you show favoritism, you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you should not commit adultery also said you should not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to everyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the point I want you to see here, and we're going to just kind of walk through this and we'll finish up with this. True religion comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says true and perfect religion, good religion, comes from, and it, it looks like this, but it also always comes from a relationship first. First you have a relationship. And here's what I find. Many people are trying to have religion without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you know some of these. Some of these people are your friends. They're family members. They're people that you love. And when you start talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have no clue what you're talking about. But they're trying to live a moral life. And what I'm saying there is they're, 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 they're having religion, but they have no relationship foundation. And the, what James is saying is first you have to have that religion foundation. You have to believe and belong first and then as you believe and you belong, you have that relationship that, that moves out into these, this relationship, or it moves into true religion. Okay? That's what he's saying. So relationship is established when God comes down uh, by sending his son, the only hope of salvation. We know him as Jesus. He saves us. We begin a journey with him, and we establish a new relationship with God based upon his grace and mercy. So what does that look like? How does that play out as we deal with others? Okay, The first one is we help the helpless. We help the helpless. God gives us a new heart for the helpless. We can't overlook the helpless. Our hearts are broken for helpless people. Uh, even when our hearts before were hard and calloused, uh, they now become broken for hurting people. And we want to help them. Uh, and now, why would that change? Why would our hearts change there? They would change because we remember that we were the ones that were helpless. We were the ones that were lost. We were the ones laying by the side of the road, beaten and half dead. And it was Jesus who came down and rescued us when we were lost, when we were poor. He was on the right side of the tracks, but he came to the wrong side of the tracks to meet us in our sin to save us. And so when we get a grip of the gospel and grace and mercy, when we see other people suffering, we see other people hurting, we say, I have 
been there. I understand what that's like. And so now I have a heart for people who are lost, who are broken, who are hurting, who are poor. And, and so we begin to see that we um, now have a responsibility. You know, Jesus tells an interesting parable. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I don't have time to go there. But let me just read you a few verses. Because Jesus says something radically very, very interesting. And he says this. This is uh, Matthew twenty-five, thirty-seven. He says, Then the righteous will answer him. Because he's saying, uh, you, you visited me with a, when I was in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. You, vi- you cared for me. You, you did all these things. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Is that what Jesus is saying there? See, our compassion comes out of what he's done for us. And Jesus says, when we do things for other people, we're doing it for him. You say, well, how do I love these people? How do I love people when I don't have a heart for them? You remember that Jesus has a heart for people. And, you know, why do you do good things? Why do you give to people who need money? Why, why do you give to the church? Why do you give to people who are hurting? Why do you sponsor children? Why do you do all those things? Well, some people say, well, I want to make sure that my money is effective. Okay, that's, I think that's good. I think you shouldn't give to an organization that's not managing money well and make sure that most of the money can get to where it needs to go and all that stuff. It's just not just money, but everything. But in the end, there's a higher motivation. When you say, God, I am just going to give this money to this organization or to this person, or I'm going to help this person, and I don't know what they're going to do with this help, but I'm doing it as an act of worship to you. Whatever they do is on you. I mean, you're going to manage that. I'm not going to worry about that. Because what I'm doing is for you. I'm helping this person because I feel led by you to help this person. It's up to you to manage that. I'm giving this to you. When you give that way, you don't worry about it. You just let it go and say, God, I'm giving this to you. And I'm, I want to, you know, you do your research. You get at what I'm saying. But you don't worry about it. You give it to him. You say, God, you'll manage this. Because after all, I'm giving it to you. It's all yours anyways. And when you start doing that, things change. Let me give you another one. Uh, and this is similar to the other one. You stay pure. You know, again, uh, living pure, is it starts from an internal thing, but it also has an external manifestation as we live our lives. God gives us a desire to live a pure life. We choose. You know, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that people, especially people who tend to be famous in our culture, are mocked when they say, I am going to live a virtuous life and I'm not going to have sex before marriage. And our culture looks at them and says, what's wrong with you? Tim Tebow, what's wrong with you? Why would you? Why, what's wrong with you? Of course, they don't get it. They, 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 they think that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. 
But when you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to live a moral life, you basically take verses like Romans 12, 1 and 2 seriously. Where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, so what? understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that what we do with our body is an act of worship, can be an act of worship. And he doesn't just mean when we're in a worship service and we go like this, okay? <laughs> There's a lot more things that we can do and not do. You know, at one place Paul says, offer your members to God for goodness and holiness and not for evil. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of the world i.e. the sexual mores of our world, don't conform to those, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? We're back to going to Scripture and meditating and reflecting on the Scriptures. And we're taking it humbly into our heart. It's transforming our heart. It's transforming our values. It's changing our trajectory. And we're not going in the same trajectory as the world. We're going upstream against the flow. And when you live that way, people begin to see differences. And they don't get it. They don't get it. And they may mock you. But he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God's will is? You've got to be in His Word, and you've got to be reflecting on it, and you've got to be humbly allowing His Word to change your heart. One of the reasons you're not changing is because you're not allowing the Word of God, like a mirror, to show you who you are, to reflect on it, and humbly receive it into your life. And when you see that transformation, Paul, uh, basically James says, it will show in the way you live. And then he tells about this. You show respect. I, I think one of the ways, there's a number of ways that I think Christians have just uh, failed. Morally, I think we failed in our world. I think most of the world sees Christians say there's no difference morally. And most of the surveys show there's really no difference morally between Christians and non-Christians. But I think another way that we failed is we discriminate. We show favoritism. We're racist. We are all those things. We are. If we're honest, we, we, we do that. We basically say if somebody has money, we're going to pay much more attention to them than somebody who's poor. We give them more weight. We give them more feeling of, of, of entitlement. And we, 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 what James says is, you should never, as a follower of Jesus Christ, show favoritism because of gender, because of race, because of economic status. It should never be part of who you are as a Christian, especially if it happens within the church community. It should never happen that way. But it does. It happens in our culture, and it happens in the church. Do you want to know what should be happening in our culture today as far as Christians? We should be on the cutting edge of, of saying every person that we come in contact with bears the image of God. 
They deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, and we should always do that. And then I look on Facebook, and I'm going, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. They're the enemy. He's the enemy. She's the enemy. Especially when you get into politics, and I'm not going to even talk about that. But I mean, just it shows. And my, my, my point here is that, that what James says is partiality and choosing sides and saying that you, you know, racism or any of that stuff is just not what a Christian could do. And here's the sad part about it. The sad part about it is many people who say, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't love God, and I don't even believe in God, but they show more dignity and respect to people across the board than we do. And we have a basis for it. We have a robust theology that tells us that all men are created in the image of God. They're image bearers. That when we criticize them, when we put them down, when we mock them, when we treat them differently, it's like going to an art gallery where God has put all the paintings on the wall and we mock and make fun of the artists. That's what we're doing. And we're okay with that. Shame on us. You know, it's not the way Jesus wanted it to be. In fact, I think Jesus said something quite different. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Is that truly happening within our church community? Are we loving one another? And by the way, you really can't do it in a setting like this. this. It doesn't happen. It happens in a smaller setting. That's why we think life groups are so important. That's where you can bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, you know, do all those different things that you need to do. And that's where it takes place. Let me give you another one. Live the rule. James mentions the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you boil the golden rule down... A Christian should live in the world towards others. If, if, if you say, well, it's love your neighbor as yourself, basically then you will not show prejudice, you won't be racist, you won't favor one person over another because that's the rule. And that's the rule we're supposed to be living by, apparently. You treat all people with dignity and respect because that's how you would want to be treated. But here's the point. We go further than that. We say, well, that's the rule, and and it's a moral rule, but it goes further than that because Jesus is our example and our source. Jesus is not only an example for us to follow because he treated everyone that he came in contact with with dignity and respect. He could disagree with them, but he did it in a a respectful way. Uh, When he... And as I said before, what did Jesus do when he left heaven and came to earth? He left the right side of the tracks and he came to the wrong side of the tracks. He came to the bad part of the town. Um, he became spiritually bankrupt for us to save us. He, he hauled us out of the pit and gave us life. He's our example to follow. Jesus is the source of our new life. Uh, 
Not only did, not only, you see, so we don't want to leave and just say, well, he's our example to follow. He is our example to follow, but more than that, he's the source of the strength to follow. We can't do it apart from his strength. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you another helper. Another Greek word is another of the same kind, it's the Holy Spirit. And he basically says, you will have a new power and a new ability, a new ability to do what I'm calling you. You can't do this on your own power. This has to be spirit-influenced, spiritually empowered. Uh, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, and, and it's important for us to, to see that. Paul writes this. He says uh, in Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not, if, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. No, no one should boast. So what, what Paul is saying is your salvation isn't based on what you have done. It never was. It never will be. It was based upon what Christ did for you. It's nothing that you've done. It's everything that Christ has done. But notice what it says. It goes on to say, um, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So what he's saying here is quite striking. He's saying your beginning, you, 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 you believe, you say, well, I believed, I trusted Jesus. Well, yeah, you did. But he helped you. He brought you to a place. He brought people into your lives. God was sovereign over that. And you believe, you trusted in him. But not only that, he takes you to a place where as we allow his word to transform our hearts and, and we go not just with, we follow his example, but we allow him to empower us. As we do that, we begin to walk as he walked. And we begin to become the masterpiece that he wants to be. Now here's what I think it was Michelangelo was asked one time, how do you create such incredible sculptures? And, uh, yeah, this is a, uh, just a kind of a real summary. It's not, obviously, don't know exactly what the conversation was, but he said something like this. I just knocked the pieces off that don't belong there. I just knocked the pieces off that don't belong there. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Little by little, he is creating this beautiful sculpture of who he wants you to be. And little by little, he wants to knock those pieces that don't belong there off of you. And he uses the Spirit of God. He uses his word. He uses uh, just experiences that you have in your life. And, and one of the ways, one of the reasons why many Christians aren't growing is because they're not interacting with the Word of God, because they're not walking in the Spirit, because they're not saying, God, speak to my heart today. Help me to see something that I need to see. Help me to walk the way I need to walk. Because you know what? You ought to be able to look at your life and say, you know what? I used to be racist. I used to be sexist. I used to be... Uh, I used to treat people differently based upon how much money they had. Uh, I am not that person anymore. I'm a different person. I, I, I used to be immoral, but I'm not anymore. I, I, there's, there's just been little by little by little, those pieces get chipped, 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 chipped. And I'm not the person I used to be. I'm not where I need to be. <laughs> and I'm not perfect. It, it hasn't been like this. It's been more like this. But there has been a life transformation, little by little, day by day, week by week. But I'm not the same person I was last year. If you can't say that, 
my guess is it goes right down to, are you taking the word of God and you're reflecting on it and say, God, what is it today that you want to show me about myself? I don't want to miss it. I want to get my eyebrows right. My, you, you get, when you look in the mirror, you want to get it perfect. And you want to see that and remember it. And as you look into the mirror and you allow it to change you, basically, James says, your life will look different. You'll treat people differently. You'll have different attitudes in the world. And little by little by little, you look back and you say, wow, what a transformation. It's amazing. Just a big piece of marble. Now look at it. It's great. It's amazing. That's what God wants to do in every one of us. Is he doing that in your life? How's it going? Don't go try harder. It won't get you anywhere. Don't just try to be more moral or more, you know, less, uh, you know, judgmental and, you know, don't do that. Come to a place where you say, God, only you can do that transformation. Only you can knock those pieces off. Only you know which piece to knock off when. And he will do it. And you'll see a transformation. But you have to commit to it. Obediently receive the word. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, this is a hard thing. This is not something that we can manufacture or do on our own. Without the power of your Holy Spirit, without the power of your word, this is a fool's quest. It's frustrating. We'll never get there. But with your Holy Spirit and with your word, as we walk and keep in step with the Spirit, and as we humbly accept the word of God, Things will begin to change. Our desires, our morals, our, our, our words, our behaviors, what we do, where we go will change. Our desires will change little by little. Father, my prayer is that everyone in this room, we would look back in one year, two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, And we would see we're a different person than we were back then. You've knocked a lot of pieces off. But we're becoming the masterpiece you designed us to be. That's what we want. So thank you for your word. Whatever was from you, may we remember it and reflect upon it. Whatever was not from you, may we forget it completely. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.